I invite you to turn your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. We have been doing a series over the summer, uh, just off and on, on living in victory. And uh, we have kind of started a series going through Romans chapter 8, which is a powerful uh, chapter. There are some commentators that refer to the Bible as a ring, and Romans as the diamond of that ring, and Romans 8 as the sparkle of the diamond of that ring. It's kind of how it's mentioned. Uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. When you dig into this, there's just a lot of beauty and um, a, a wonderful truth in knowing who we are in Christ Jesus through this. So in Romans chapter 8, we, we just uh, stood up a moment ago, so I won't have you stand. But follow along as I read Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. just want to read a few verses together uh, before we uh, begin the message today. Romans 8, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if, if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Title of today's message is A Spiritual Mind, A Spiritual Mind. In other words, how do we live in victory for the Lord? How do we have the power to, to do what is right, to do what is pleasing to the Lord, and to do it on a regular basis? Uh, if you're like me and most folks, your, your spiritual life can sometimes feel like a roller coaster with the loop-de-loops and everything else you want to throw into that. And so how then do we live the Christian life? And that's what we're talking about here. So two weeks ago, before the revival meeting, we started out in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And uh, just as a kind of a, a re quick review of that, there were four essential truths that we learned about who we are in Christ. And so it says here in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So this is very important. There's no condemnation. In other words, this is our position in Christ. We are now not condemned, but rather we are uh, com commended. There, there's, uh, we are justified. We are free in Jesus Christ, who walked not of the flesh, but at the spirit. So our freedom, we are, have freedom in Christ. We are no longer a slave to sin and to that sin nature anymore now that we're in Christ. For that, we should say hallelujah. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's done in the power of Christ. This talks about the assurance of who we are in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. We also know that our freedom is found in the power of the Spirit, it says in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit 
uh, of the life of, in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So again, we have the power of spirit. We talked about here that this law here is not talking about the laws that are on the books. Like, you know, you can only go 55 miles an hour type of thing. It's not that law or a law that you shouldn't break. This is really a law more as a principle is what we're talking about. Think of like as the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Okay, and so in our sinful nature, we naturally gravitate to do what is sinful. It's just a part of our nature. But with the power of the Spirit, what happens? God, in his power through the Spirit, stops us in our tracks. And basically, he catches us in that. So he has us secure. So the freedom that we have is found in the power of the Spirit. In other words, you can't stop that fall that we have, our sin nature. You can't stop it. You can't change it. You can't do anything about it. It's only Jesus Christ who delivers us from that sin. Praise God for that and for that power, okay? We also see that how do do we have this freedom? How in the world do you have freedom from sin? It's from what the Savior did for us in his sacrifice. Verse 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, in other words, you couldn't do it in your own strength, God sending his own son, that's Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh for us. The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself. Jesus paid it all. He paid our sin's debt and our sin's penalty. Praise God for his work. This is a beautiful thing. Our freedom is secured in Christ's sacrifice for us on the cruel, rugged cross. And then now that we are saved by his work and by his sacrifice, and we're secured in that, we then have freedom to do what? To live righteously. That's verse 4. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay? So this is very important. So knowing our position in Christ, that we are justified, we are declared righteous, we are no longer condemned, this thought should humble us really should make a stop and consider who we are in Christ. And I pray today that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today. When you do that, you have that freedom that only he can give. Praise God for that. And being free from the guilt and sin enables us then to live for God. This is what Romans 8 is talking about. Actually, Romans, probably go back to verse uh, chapter 5 in, in, up into this area. So by the Spirit then, this is how we obey This is how we serve. This is how we love. And this is how we trust him. So you do it in your own strength, folks. You get worn out and your life becomes like that roller coaster. Okay. How important is it for us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? It's interesting that before you get this, you look in Romans 7, you hear a lot of Paul's testimony. You have pronouns like I, me, my, the struggle that I have, things that are going on. And then in Romans 8, that personal pronouns, they go away. And what you find is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And about 19 times in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned or referred to. So in other words, the, the, the power shifts from me doing everything religious in my own strength, which by the way, we get worn out, folks. We get burnt out so quickly. And what happens when we know who we are in Christ and rest in his power to work through us to do what is right for the Lord? Guess what happens? The Holy Spirit takes over, folks, and he equips us and helps us to live for him. Beautiful in that regard. Romans chapter 8, if you sound verse 1, it begins with no condemnation. If you go to the end of Romans chapter 8, and we'll get there in the next couple weeks, 
you're going to find that there is no separation from God. We are secure in Christ. Once you are a child of God, folks, he does not lose his grip on you. Praise God for that. You, there is no separation. Praise God for that glorious truth. But in between those verses, in between Romans 8 verse 1 to the end of the chapter, what do we do in the middle? And so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to find out the joy of walking in the Spirit. The joy of walking with the Holy Spirit, which is the key to living in victory. How do you have a victorious Christian life? It's by resting in the power of the Spirit. We have a firm position in Christ as his children, and with that, a glorious future. But the question is this, and we're going to ask this right up front here in these verses. What happens, though, when we try to live for God in the flesh? What happens when we try to live for God in the flesh? Well, to kind of start this out, I want to give us a little story. Story maybe some of you know. The year was 1735, just a few years ago. All right, I won't ask how many of you were around during that time. But nonetheless, 1735, there was an Anglican minister from Britain. His name was John Wesley. Some of you probably have heard that name, John Wesley. He had a brother named Charles Wesley who uh, wrote many hymns that we actually sing. Uh, but John Wesley... Uh, he traveled to America, to the American colonies, to Savannah, Georgia, and he was going to be a parish minister there, but also to develop a ministry or a mission to the Native Americans living there as well. But while crossing the Atlantic, the ship that he was on was caught in a very violent storm. John Wesley feared for his life, but then he noticed that there was another group of passengers. They were the Moravians. They were also doing mission work in the Americas. And they seem to have absolutely no fear of death. They seem at peace with their situation. And Wesley saw something in the Moravians, in this group of people that he didn't have. And here he is a minister. He went to Bible college, basically. He was trained for this. But here's the point. This is what Wesley realized. Even though he was trained for ministry, he had not truly come to faith in Christ himself. Could you imagine that? A preacher who has never been saved? It happens, folks. And John Wesley was one of them. He, had, he realized he had never tr truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he wrote in the journal. This is what he wrote in his journal. Listen to this. He says, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Who's going to lead me to the Lord? He's a preacher. All right. Interesting. Here's the thing. Spiritual disciplines, and that's what he was known for. Um, spiritual, such as Methodism. That's where he's the founder of Methodism. Okay. But spiritual disciplines such as prayer, Bible reading, fasting, and giving are helpful for a believer to have a strong relationship in Christ. But if the person has not come to faith in Christ and been born again by the Spirit of God, first, then no amount of spiritual discipline will ever bring about a spiritual life. Think about that. No amount of spiritual discipline will ever bring a spiritual life. In other words, in your own strength, the person on the street can't give enough, pray enough, sing enough, read enough Bible. They can't do enough to get spiritual life. They can't do it. Have you ever seen a corpse try to resuscitate another corpse? It don't work. And that's the thing. In our own strength, it doesn't work. Folks, we need the Spirit of God in our life. So here's the thing. No amount of spiritual discipline will ever bring about the spiritual life. In fact, listen carefully. This is based on Wesley's testimony. The road to hell can be paved with spiritual disciplines and good deeds. People who simply tried and tried and tried and tried in their own strength to get to heaven, to get right with God, to be declared righteous, to be declared justified. 
Well, guess what? There's more to the story of John Wesley. It's a beautiful story. Finally, on May 24th of 19, or excuse me, not 19, 1738, get the right decade or century, okay, 1738, Wesley made a journal entry that is now famous. Wesley was listening to someone who was reading a passage from Martin Luther's preface on Romans. By the way, if you want to hear Martin Luther's own testimony, how he was justified by faith, amazing testimony. But as Wesley was hearing this, he understood his his need for salvation. And he said this, while he was describing the change, while he, this man was reading, describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he has not, that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That was a testimony of John Wesley. He got saved <laughs> years after he was trained to be a minister. And I think that's absolutely amazing. The thing is this, he was trying to merit God's favor in his own strength, in his own good deeds. If I just be good enough, if I just be faithful enough, if I just, by the way, there's a lot of people who look like Christians, but inside they're so stressed. What am I doing? Am I still right with God? Are you, they're not 100% sure of their standing with God. Folks, the Bible says that in Christ, we there is no condemnation. We are no longer judged, folks. We are justified, declared righteous when we are in Christ and his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amazing. So then how then do we live? How do we live in the Spirit? In order to live in the Spirit then, in order to be saved, how do we do this? In order to live in the Spirit, we need to have the mind of the Spirit. So when we are saved, when you trust Christ, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit indwells us and indwells every believer. At the moment you're saved, Jesus Christ, his spirit comes and indwells us. Okay, that's a permanent fixture. We are baptized into the spirit. Okay, so this is very, very important. So when we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. At that moment, then, we are set in a new direction, a new bent of life to live for the Lord in the power of the spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the keys to victorious Christian living. This is very important. And so the key then to living a victory is to have a spiritual mind. That's what it's talking about here in starting in verse 5. The spiritual mind, and that mind is submitted to Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this. There's, first of all, a battle of the mind or the battle of the mindsets. This is really what it is. And what we're experiencing here is really interesting. Start, look with me here in uh, Romans 8, verse 5. And this is kind of where we're in the text now says here, for they that are after the flesh do mind or are set after the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Okay. So there is a battle actually from verses five to eight. There's a battle going on in our, in, in the world, I should say. Okay. And that's between those who have the spirit and those who do not have the spirit. Okay. This is very important. How do you identify this? And this is really talking to uh, really believers versus unbelievers. This is a bit. And I want you to kind of look at yourself as we go through these here. Where do you fall in? Do you have evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life? In other words, are you truly saved? If you are saved, the Holy Spirit's in you. He's going to help you in these ideas. Now, you might not be 100% perfect every day. We'll get to that. Okay. But this is kind of on the foundation. Where are we at? So look at this verse here. It says in verse 5, they that are after the flesh do mind. Okay, that word do mind there is again set their minds on. 
This means here to direct the mind on something to seek and to strive for. The object of their thinking and striving is fleshly. So those who are after the flesh, this is talking about the our inclined sinful nature. When we are bent on that, the unsaved person is bent on that on that way of thinking here. What do we do? We try to do things in our own mind and our, our own way. I want us to kind of look at an interesting passage of how this is played out. Kind of what we mean by that. Look with me. Hold your place in Romans 8. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And in this passage here, we're looking at a few verses of, this is after Jesus is at uh, Caesarea Philippi, and Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was a kind of a big moment right there. But then, look with me what happens after that. Rome, uh, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21. It says here, From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and, and be raised again the third day. So Jesus is telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen not too far down the road. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised again. Now, like I said, the, the disciples, I think, at times were knuckleheads. Okay? It took them a while to process and think of what they're saying. I don't think they really realized everything until after those events happened. But nonetheless, Jesus told them. But notice what happens next with Peter in verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, O Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This isn't going to happen. Don't even think about it, Jesus. But look at what happened is this. This is where we get the mind of the flesh versus the mind of the spirit. Verse 23 says, But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the, be of men. In other words, what's happening is this. Peter's trying to fix the solution about Jesus going to the cross in the way of the flesh. What happened later on, skip back several months later, at the Garden of Gethsemane? And uh, as Jesus is being arrested, what does Peter do? Remember? He takes out a sword and he whacks off the servant of the high priest's ear. Okay? And what was that in, re in regards to? Was that in the spirit? I mean, I would say this. I think all of us who were that, they, Peter did a valiant thing. He was defending Christ by cutting off the ear of the servant. But he was going really through the flesh. He was acting out in the flesh. He did what we would consider a right thing in the wrong way. And the thing is this, that each and every one of us are bent in a way to do the God thing, and it's really the wrong way. We're not controlled by the Spirit, folks. We're not controlled by the will of God in doing that. So then how can we please God? So again, there's this battle going on in, in our lives for that. But in Galatians chapter 5, 16, listen as I quote it, how are then we supposed to live? Paul talks to the Galatians. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit or live in the Spirit, may your life be in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In other words, how do we keep from doing even what we consider good things in the wrong way? It's by keeping our minds or our mindset or keeping our bent by living in the Spirit, depending on God. But keep in mind, though, that the verses we're reading here, verses 5 through 8, this is really talking, or actually 3.11, actually, this is really about a believer versus an unbeliever. And we'll explain that very clearly in a moment. But what we have, there's a battle in the mindsets that we have. A person is bent. Before you're saved, your mindset is bent to the flesh, to do things that please yourself. 
that makes sense to you. Good logic, go never else, okay? For those who are believers who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, their mindset or their bent in life is to do things that follow after the Spirit. Now, now keep in mind, you're saying, well, Pastor, I don't do that every day. I know, I don't do it either. But God has given His Holy Spirit to live within us to do the things the right way. The holy, the unbeliever doesn't have that. That's the difference, folks. That's the difference between the saved and the unsaved. Okay, so that's the first battle, the battle of the flesh and the spirit. The second battle is found in verse 6. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So here we have the next battle, and that's between death and life. Death and life. So this is the idea. The unbeliever, they're bent. If you follow the path of the flesh, it's going to lead what? To death. All right? But if you are a believer and you're walking by the Spirit, that's going to give you what? Life and peace. You see, there's a battle that's taking place. That's the battle that we see in our world, folks, in our communities, in our government, around the world. This is the battle we see all the time. We see the flesh and the Spirit. We see death and life all the time. Let's talk about this just briefly here in verse 6. To be carnally minded means literally the mind or the minding of the flesh. That is the pursuit of fleshly ends. In other words, I'm going to do it my way. It might, be, it might be a good idea even. It might be practical, logical. But in the end, it's really not the way of God. It's not according to his will. Okay? It ends in death. Uh, an illustration just popped in my head just a second ago. Believe it or not, those things happen. Ask my wife. Okay. Remember when the children of Israel, they were, um, remember the 12 spies went to uh, search the land of Canaan? Remember the old song? What is it? Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. All right. If you know that song, you can sing the rest in your head. Okay. But nonetheless, they brought back an evil report and God judged them. He said, okay, because of your rebellion, there's going to be what? All, everyone under 20, 20 years age and above will not get to see the land of promise. They're going to die in the wilderness. And then what did the children of Israel do to make up for that? In the flesh, what? They said, well, let's go and try to redeem ourselves. And so they went and they tried to fight a little battle. And guess what? It didn't succeed. They went in the flesh, not in the spirit. That's just one little illustration. Sounded good on paper, folks, but it wasn't God's way. That ends in death. It not just ends in death, it is death. That is the way of death. What's the opposite? You have carnally minded or after the flesh and now spiritually minded or minding of the spirit. That is the pursuit of spiritual objects. The end is and is life and peace. So again, what is the promise? God's promise going to Moses. Uh, I, I've been reading through uh, the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible recently. And I come to Moses, and when he's about ready to go see the promised land uh, from, uh, from what is now today the modern Jordan, as he's looking, remember God, because of his disobedience to the wilderness, would not let him go in, but God said what? I will let you see the land. I'll let, and then, of course, we know that at the end of Deuteronomy, God, he died, he buried him, okay? So that's the idea. But could you imagine, in the flesh, Moses probably would have loved and he probably could have tried to go across the Jordan River Sea and be in the land for himself. He really wanted to. But what did he do? He simply rested in God, in his plan for him, and he simply viewed the promised land from where God had set him up. Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. So this is kind of an idea of what it means to be, uh, again, spiritually minded. 
Doing the things that God leads. One thing that I've said here, and this is kind of a practical way here at Victory Baptist Church, one of my prayers has been that every event and every activity that takes place at Victory Baptist Church, I want to see the hand of God upon it. We can put something on the schedule. I mean, on Wednesday nights, we have a great time, folks, don't we? We come together, we have a little bit of fellowship, we have some people bring food. I'll be honest with you, I could care less what's being served. The, the purpose of that fellowship time before the Bible study is life-touching life. Getting around the tables, talking with one another, how is God working in your life, what's going on in your families, in all the words. Who cares what's being served, folks? It's life-touching life, being intentional, intentional discipleship. This is what we need in our church to thrive and to live for God. We want to see God's hand on it. It's not just an event to put on the calendar or say, this is what we do every Wednesday night or whatever service you might come to. Let's see God's hand and power in our lives and rest in his spirit that we may live for him. Praise God for that. Amen. So let's continue talking about this battle. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, between death and life. And now there's war with God and peace with God. Verse 7 says this. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is the subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So the word enmity there literally means war. Warfare is the idea, incipient war against God. It was said by one commentator, perhaps no one text of scripture more completely sets forth the hideous lost state of man after the flesh. This is what happened. The unsaved, the unbeliever, whether they realize it or not, is at war with God. Whether they realize it or not, they are at war with God. Because why? They're on the other side of the battle, folks. Whether they realize it or not. And no, even if they do something for God, there's a lot of people who say the name of Jesus. But really, they're with their heart not being changed, they're really working against him. Remember this, the Apostle Paul Remember this, before he was saved, he was, in his own testimony, I was, as far as persecuting this church, I was zealous for that. He thought he was doing a great work for God. In fact, what was he doing? When, when Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus in, in Acts chapter 9, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting thou me? He says, wait a minute, I didn't realize I was doing that. And he was. They're blinded to the actual warfare that's being going on. So here's the thing. There is a war that is taking place in our culture, folks. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It's not Packers versus the Vikings either, okay? Yes, we're less than 50 days away. All right, that's another issue. Okay? But nonetheless, what is happening is this. There is a warfare that is going on. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mind of the unbeliever is at enmity, is at war with God because it's not subject to the law of God, neither can be. The word there says is not subject is actually, it's um, the Greek word there has the idea of to arrange in order. Think of like a, a military, putting your ranks of soldiers in order for battle. The thing is this, your flesh can't stand information. Those who have been in the service know what I'm talking about. You can't stand information. You can't get your act together. You're not going to be equipped to handle the battle because you're not listening to the true commander-in-chief, the God of heaven. That's what's going on, okay? And so you are marshaled then under a hostile banner. That's what's going on here. So there's a war with God. So the question is this, as we've been talking through these battles in the mind, which side are you on? Are you in the side who is an unbeliever that, hey, you're living according to the flesh, your bent is towards death, and now you're at war with God? Well, what's the next battle that we have? And that's in verse 8. For they that are in the flesh, 
that bent nature against God cannot please God. And this is this. The battle we have here is pleasing self versus pleasing God. Pleasing self versus pleasing God. You've heard me say this many times, this. There's just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Okay? There's just two choices, pleasing God or pleasing self. Okay? Think of this. An unsafe person rarely, if ever, thinks about pleasing God. If you are a believer in Christ, think about when you were saved. Didn't you want to follow the Lord? You want to maybe tell someone about him? You want to read your Bible more? Be active in church? Do whatever? Those things were coming to your mind. And by the way, there are sometimes, yeah, we slough off. We get lazy. That happens, okay? Because why? We still deal with that old man, our sin nature. We still deal with that to an extent here, but we don't have the power of that. The unsaved person rarely, if ever, does, okay? So this is very, very important as we see this. For an unsaved person, the bent of their life is simply, let my will be done, not thy will be done. And a believer will say, let thy will be done. If you are truly saved, think about that. Is that really your heart's desire? So this is a a chasm that we see that's quickly been going on. So then this, how then should we live? Man, is there any hope? I mean, we're kind of in this battle, in this stress. How then should we succeed? Verses 10 and 11 give us hope, and they give us assurance for the believer. It says in verse 10, and if Christ, or excuse me, actually verse 9, here's the, here's the turning point, verse 9, but ye, talking to believers, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So here's the point Paul is trying to make here. If you are a child of God, you're not in the flesh. Even though you feel like it sometimes, you are in the spirit. Why? Because if so be, or since that the spirit of God dwells in you. So in other words, you are in the spirit because the spirit's in you. Remember earlier on in in, uh, Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Okay? We are in Christ when we are saved. And in him we have that position. We are in Christ we are declared righteous. We are not condemned by our sin anymore. Praise God. But now in verse 9, we have a, a kind of a, a, the opposite end of it is this, that Christ now dwells in you. Think about this. This is our relationship. Jesus Christ, his spirit lives in you and helps you, gives you the power and the strength to do what is right and to live pleasing for him. So in other words, and I want us to, to understand this here. In our King James Bible, it says here in verse 9, if so be that the Spirit of God in you. The, the, the Greek word actually kind of makes it a little clearer. It says here, since that the Spirit of God. Okay, so it gives it something very assuring that those who belong to Christ, no doubt, have the Spirit. There's no question about it. A believer in Christ has the Spirit. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Very, very important. Okay, so... What does this mean here, that the Spirit dwells within us? And I think uh, of last week, actually, uh, Colonel Willis preached uh, on the fact that our body, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 6, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within us. Isn't that amazing? Where the presence of God used to dwell in the tabernacle and later on the temple, guess what? Now through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us at the cross, has sent us the Spirit to live in us. In a sense, we are that temple. We are that holy of holies, that sacred presence of God. This is beautiful. This is encouraging for us to know. You see this, that the spirit within us is life. It says here, let's continue on reading. 
It says in verse 9, at the end of it, Now if any man that have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, if you're an unbeliever, you don't have the Spirit. If you are a believer, you do have the Spirit. Let me go back again. If you're not a believer in Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, you do have the Spirit. All right? Trying to make this real simple. All right? But this is important, very important. Okay? And verse 10 says, And if Christ be in you, and he is, all right, the body is dead because of sin. That's our mortal flesh. It's going to pass away anyway. But the spirit, and that's because of sin. Remember, because of Adam's fall, we sinned all. Okay? Whereas by one man, sin entered the world, that death by sin, and a death passed upon all men. And all of us are sinners for that. All, all mankind are sinners. But in Christ, we have been redeemed, born again. Praise God for that. And with that, he gives us that power. It says here at the very end of verse 10, remember your body is dead because of sin. Your physical body is going to die. We know that. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, here, the spirit is the one who gives us life, empowers us to do what is right. When we are weak and tired and all that, the spirit comes and he helps us along. The spirit within us is life. Even though our physical body will die one day because of sin, the effect of sin, we have hope of a life that will outlive our mortal bodies. That's true. We will outlive our mortal bodies. In other words, there's a resurrection. That's what's promised. Because Christ rose from the dead, we have the hope of the resurrection as well. This is not the end, folks. This is maybe this is just the beginning, really, for us. Now the Spirit that powers our bodies for service that honors Christ. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit right now. While we await for that day of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit empowers you, equips you, illumines your mind. It helps you in so many ways, and it does it so that we can honor Jesus Christ. So that's my question. If you're here as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is there to help you live for him. You're not alone in this battle, folks. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is here to help you to live for him in your flesh. Be honest with you, I'd go and take a nap, right? I get weary. We all do. But in Christ, we have that spirit. The life of Christ is an abundant life. So knowing we have a sure hope of our position in Christ, how shall we then live? Here's the thing. We are secure in him. God cannot, you know, no one will take us away from his grip. Praise God for that. Even though we are secure in Christ, though, we are not to be passive in how we live. There's a lot of people say, well, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want now. God's forgiven me. I can go and live. I can cheat, steal. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Because that's contrary to what God wants for us. His spirit tells us, no, you got to go the other way. Now, will God allow you to? Yeah. But guess what? You will never forget. It should be on your mind. Think of the prodigal son. That prodigal son, remember in the book of Luke, that there were two boys one, the youngest wanted his inheritance now. He ran off and he lived high and large, spent his money on everything. He could think of spent on food, on women, on everything. And he came to the end of himself. He was just like, man, I can't. He was actually eating the food from a pig pen just to survive. And he, he came to himself. He says, what am I doing here? For a true believer in Christ, you will get to a point eventually if you continue to live in a rebellion against God. And you will get to say, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. That's the Holy Spirit saying, come home, come to the Father. For the unbeliever, that's not even on their mind. The unbeliever, Christ says, come to me. I will in no wise cast out. Come to me, I will have mercy upon you. 
how much we need to know what Jesus Christ did for us. So with that, we are not supposed to be passive, even though we're secure. And with that security comes responsibility. In other words, the, when we are secure in Christ, we have a responsibility to live for Christ. So if you are secure in Christ, live for Christ. That's what it amounts to. So here's the point. How should we live with a spiritual mind? You glorify God in your bodies. How do you do that? By having a spiritual mind. By having your mind bent on the things of Christ. Beyond holiness. Being sanctified to himself. This is what it's talking about. This is really talking about sanctification. So this is very important. So what is your mindset? If you are in Christ by knowing him, then you are given life and power through the Spirit. If you're here without Christ and you don't know him, if you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, you are powerless in your strength to live for God. In reality, you are at war with God. But guess what? There is peace with God that's provided by Jesus Christ. The key to living for victory, though, is to have a spiritual mind that's submitted to Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, folks? Jesus died on that cruel cross for you. He lived a perfect and sinless life, did nothing absolutely wrong. But he died on that cross to pay for your sins and for mine that we could never pay. We can never pay back, folks. Jesus did that for you. He was buried, and then he rose again to give us hope, give us assurance. And he sent his Holy Spirit to help us to live for them. What does Jesus call us to do? He calls out to us, Whosoever will may come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here without Christ, folks, we'd be glad to show you from God's true word how you can be gloriously saved and your life forever changed. When, is, when that happens, the Spirit is there to help you live for Him.